The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 39. It's titled, What Drives Currency Exchange Rates? The suggestion for today's show came from Paul, who wrote a few weeks ago and wanted to know why the dollar had strengthened and what did that mean, what was driving it. And particularly, why did it strengthen when so many pundits were saying that the dollar would weaken? So the dollar right now is as strong relative to other major currencies, or there's something called the U.S. dollar index, which would be what the dollar is priced against other currency on a trade-weighted basis, based on how much trade the U.S. does with that particular country. That rate is at its highest. In other words, the dollar is as strong as it has been since 2006. So prior to, as we went into 2008, the dollar had weakened. And then going after when the the recession hit, there was a flight to quality and the dollar strengthened. And the dollar is actually stronger now than it was back after that, that rebound or that strength of the dollar from 2008. What is that? Why is that? What, is it that? what are the factors that influence the strength of a particular currency or a weakness of a particular currency? And, and can that be predicted? That's what we want to cover today. I first became aware of currency and exchange rates, and, and I think most people become aware of this when they travel overseas. When I was in my late teens, I went and lived in Mexico for several years during a period of progressive weakening and and very high inflation in Mexico. And so when I got there, the peso, there was 200 pesos per dollar. And when I left, it was well over 1,000 pesos per dollar to the extent that eventually Mexico had to reissue what they called a new peso. And so there's all this money sitting around that these old coins that were essentially useless. With, with the old peso, with 200 pesos per dollar, you essentially stopped using individual peso coins. We would still use 10 peso coins. Eventually, we stopped using 10 peso coins, and we had, there were 5,000 peso bills. And, and so, but I became aware of what it is that my pesos could or my dollars could buy, because what I found was whenever, you know, as the exchange rate, as the peso weakened and the dollar strengthened, I actually could buy more. I, things seemed and felt and were cheaper from my perspective, although from the, those in Mexico, they were definitely not because prices were rising. That's one thing to consider when we talk about exchange rates. There's this idea of, or this theory called purchasing power parity. And it's the idea that a basket of goods 
of a certain quality should be priced similarly in another country after adjusting for exchange rates. So if I have a basket of goods that I buy in the UK, it should, in theory, be priced similarly in the pound if I go buy that same basket in the dollar and and do the exchange, so exchange my pounds for dollars, go buy a similar basket, it should cost the same in dollars. That doesn't really work that way because as we look at what influences exchange rates, they're not set by purchasing power parity. They're driven by other factors. And and you will see this when you travel. I remember going to to the UK with my son in 2008, and at the time, it was two pounds per dollar. And literally, for that entire trip, I felt like I was paying twice as much. Everything seemed to be twice as expensive. It would have been the equivalent pound, but it felt like for a meal, I was paying twice as much for a meal in the UK that I would pay for a similar meal in the US. So purchase of parity didn't seem to hold. When we went back in 2013 to the UK, it seemed a little more reasonable because it still was, I think it was a pound, let's see, what was a dollar? Here's the thing about exchange rates. They can get really confusing as you go from one to the other, and particularly when you're trying to record a podcast. But I I think when we went back in 2013, it was $1.50 per pound is, is what it was. When we traveled in Japan, though, there were times, I believe, might have been the late 70s, 80s, and I wasn't in Japan at the time, but the Japan, the Japanese yen had become so strong that it was very, very expensive for Americans to travel in, in Japan. When I was there this most recent time in, in 2013, Japan seemed very equivalent to the U.S. So this whole concept of, of purchasing power parity doesn't hold because currencies move, exchange rates can move much faster than sort of the pricing of a basket of goods in one country versus the next. Even within a, a currency union, we found when we were traveling in Europe that food in Italy was more expensive than the same food in Germany, and which, which sort of dumbfounded me. I just assumed with the, a, a currency union that – and because of the tr- free trade within that, that th- the prices would be the same. But they're not, because what influences prices in a given country is often the labor cost, and there are other factors that, that influence that, productivity and quality, etc. What is the impact when a currency strengthens? Well, the first in the case of the dollar. So the dollar is much stronger now than it was a year ago when an individual U.S.-based travels overseas, they will find that they can buy more with that dollar than they could uh, a year ago. Conversely, if somebody travels from Europe and, and now comes to the U.S., they'll find that they're not able to purchase as much. And so that, that's certainly one impact. 
The other thing is a strengthening dollar means price of, for imports into the U.S. will be lower, including for commodities such as oil. Oil is priced in dollars throughout the world, and as are many commodities. So with the dollar strengthening, that means that all things being equal, commodities will be cheaper. So even though oil has fallen over 50%, the actual price of oil is falling, but it's been magnified by the strengthening dollar. Other imports, the U.S. is a huge import of consumer goods that will also, those imports will be cheaper. And so it actually, when a currency strengthens, it actually reduces the rate. It has a disinflationary effect. Inflation is lower when a currency strengthens. Conversely, when a currency weakens, that actually can increase inflation. That's one of the things Japan is is trying to accomplish. They would like more inflation in their country. And one way to achieve that is to take actions that will hopefully weaken the yen relative to other currencies. And, And that should push up the price of imports and increase inflation, including many commodity-based imports. Japan imports a fair amount of of liquefied natural gas and I believe oil. They also are a big importer of oil. So that's another impact of a strengthening or weakening currency. From an investment standpoint, an impact of a strengthening currency, if I'm a U.S.-based investor, which I am, my returns for investing overseas are, are potentially dragged down because when I convert, let's say I'm invested in Japan and I've earned a certain return, I'm invested in local Japanese currency, Japanese stocks. When I convert those returns back to the dollar, if the dollar has strengthened, my return will actually be lower than it would have been otherwise. Con- the on the other hand, a investor that's based in the UK or based in Europe that is now investing in the US, as the dollar has strengthened, that actually increases or magnifies that return. And we'll see that that's actually one of the things that influences exchange rates, the the investment climate, the, the, the higher expected turn. Returns And so a, a strengthening currency can actually improve returns. So let's look at then what are the factors that drive currency exchange rates. And I've identified four. Perhaps there's others. But the four that, as I've researched and looked at, is foremost trade. Businesses export and import products and services. And, and that foreign trade can be transacted in U.S. dollars. It can be done in euros. It can be transacted in the home currency of the exporter. It can be transacted in the home currency of the importer. Currently, about 38% of the trade throughout the world is priced in euros, and about 35% is priced in dollars. And if if you go back to episode 12, where I talked about the petrodollar and talked it was the last episode I we had on currency, I outlined why you know, 
what is it that decides which currency is used for trade? So go back and, and you can re-listen to that. But ultimately, businesses need to pay for a product in a foreign currency. We'll need to go to the currency exchange market to to, trans, to, to do the currency exchange. And so that's happening all the time. So much of the, the currency transactions that occur is a result of trade. That's a, a definite factor. The second factor is investing. As I mentioned, individuals and individual institutions want to trade. They want to invest in another country's capital markets. And in order to do that, you have to convert your dollars to yen, your yen to dollar, depending on where you want to invest. And so if I would like to buy foreign stocks, foreign bonds, foreign real estate, I need to convert it. There needs to be an exchange. And so, again, the primary driver of an exchange rate is the demand for the currency and the supply available. In other words, It's all relative. Currencies fluctuate based on the demand for that currency vis-a-vis some other currency. And so if individuals want to invest in the U.S. because they believe it's an attractive place to invest, they will need dollars in order to do that. That can lead to a strengthening currency. Why would individuals want to address invest in a particular country. Well, the economic growth prospects of that country, if the country's economy is growing faster, such as the economy in China, individuals might want to invest there or businesses. Interest rates are a big determinant of the willingness of individuals to invest. I've mentioned in earlier episodes that U.S. interest rates are higher significantly higher than interest rates in other developed nations, such as in Germany, the UK, and Japan. And as a result, even after adjusting for potential exchange rates, interest rates here in the U.S. are higher. And so that attracts capital into the U.S. because of those higher interest rates. Inflation levels also impact countries' With, with lower inflation levels will also attract currency because the investor can keep the purchasing power uh, of their currency. It's not being inflated away. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. 
Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So that's the second thing. The first thing then was trade. The second is investment, investment capital. That influences exchange rates. The third thing then is government policies, actions, and the stated intentions by a nation's central bank and federal government. Is the central bank, such as in the U.S., the Federal Reserve has announced that they are done with quantitative easing, and if the economy continues to expand, they will most likely increase short-term interest rates this year. And so the, the... The perception is that rates will at least be stable or increase on the short end. And and so the U.S. has higher interest rates and the the central bank is suggesting that they are not going to pursue quantitative easing. Whereas if you go to Europe and Japan, European central bank is talking about quantitative easing. They're talking about taking actions that – will potentially lead to lower interest rates or at least the intention of lower interest rates. Japan is doing the same thing. And under that environment, the the U.S. looks more attractive because their rates are already higher and are not necessarily – are going to stay higher so that that investor can earn that higher yield than they might be able to earn somewhere else. Now – Governments that are are profligate in their spending, potentially stoking inflation or doing things that just seem like they're just spending, 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 potentially stoking inflation, particularly if capacity is constrained, those currencies will potentially weaken. And so it's not only what they do, it's what they say to do or their stated intentions. So government policy also impacts the desirability of a currency and how strong or weak it is. And then the fourth thing is really a wild card. And that is sentiment. The, the other, if you need to trade or exchange currency for trade, you go and you exchange it. If you need to, because you want to invest in another 
country you need to go and exchange it. But many investors, including hedge funds, invest particularly in they do they invest in currency. In other words, they're buying a foreign currency because they think it'll weaken or or they buy it because they think it'll strengthen. But though essentially they're trading and they're positioning their portfolios not because they want to invest in another asset, but simply based on what they think currency exchange is going to be. And I talked a little bit about this and how dangerous it is back in episode 12. But sentiment has a great deal to do with what currencies are doing. Right now, the overwhelming position of hedge funds and other speculators is that the dollar will strengthen. It is a very one-sided trade. And it has magnified or or, or that positioning has led to further strengthening of the U.S. dollars. Now, whenever there's such a one-sided trade, there's also the potential for a reversal because, again, it gets back to how hard is it to predict the future and to predict currency trends, particularly over the short term. In my view, next to impossible. So perhaps a long-term trend is that the dollar will strengthen because the U.S. economy appears to be growing faster than, than other countries. The interest rates are higher. The central bank has suggested that interest rates will not, they'll not be taking action to reduce or lower short-term interest rates. If anything, they will potentially increase those. All those things seem to favor a strengthening dollar. But then when you have speculators that are all positioned for that, that's what would give me a concern regarding you could see a potential snapback. But that's really why the dollar has strengthened. It is that the environment for investing here has been a little more attractive. Rates have been higher, government policy, and then you have the speculators. It has positive sentiment. What do I do in my own investment portfolio to take advantage of strengthening currencies or weakening currencies or currency trends? Nothing. I think it's too complicated of an area. There's too many factors, too many unknowns. It's just something that can't be predicted. I've tried. I've tried. Here's a tweet from January 6, 2010. Tweet is by me. I said, five years from now, after numerous sovereign bailouts of its weaker links, I suspect the euro will be defunct. January 6, 2010. It's been five years. Euro is still going strong. Back in 2012, and I mentioned this in episode 12, I positioned my portfolio to take advantage of a, I, t- I was invested in futures contracts, currency futures, expecting the euro to weaken significantly, that it would drop below $1.20 per euro. And I expected Greece would exit the eurozone. And it wasn't just me that thought that. One of the premier economic firms in, in the world based in the UK, Capital Economics, who I subscribe to, also had that view. One person that did not have that view was Mario Draghi, president of the European Central Bank, who said in July of 2012 at the Global Investment Conference, quote, 
But there is another message I want to tell you. Within our mandate, the ECB is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. And believe me, it will be enough. Euro is doing just fine, a little weaker as the dollar has strengthened. I've outlined some reasons why the dollar is strengthening. I won't predict that it will strengthen more. In fact, the, I, this concept that it's such a one-sided trade where everyone believes the dollar will continue to strengthen. The pessimist in me, the contrarian, says it will reverse. But ultimately, if you have a diversified portfolio, I don't hedge my foreign currency exposure for my foreign investments. I just currencies fluctuate based on those factors. I allow those factors to take their course. Sometimes currency strengthens, sometimes they weaken. I'll obviously avoid countries where there is just a severe breakdown, hyperinflation, et cetera. That I might avoid. But in terms of developed and developing nations that are just going about doing their business, I don't think currency exchange rates can be predicted. If you want to, you can buy both hedged and unhedged international portfolios. And I had one foundation client that did that for many years. They had half their international exposure in an unhedged vehicle, and they had half of their international equity exposure in a hedged vehicle. And it worked fine because they offset each other, and sometimes one did better than the other. But as stocks went up, both went up, but they went up different amounts based on what currencies are doing. So there is ways to do it just to diversify, but don't go about trying to predict, in my view, what you think currencies will do. If you would like to delve into this topic into more detail or other investment-related topics, get insight into what I'm doing with my investment portfolio, you can do that by becoming a member of the Money for the Rest of Us hub. That's where you'll find no hype, no politics, no hot stock tips, just clear, concise investment help and education. I recently updated the navigation and the look of the hub based on listener and based on member feedback. We have over 50 charter members on the hub. If you recall, when we get to 100, it will be raising the price because I wanted that core group of 100 to get their feedback and to get their input. An example of something that a member of the Hub requested that I, I was very much obli- or was glad to do that wouldn't make it into the weekly show because it was a little too niche-oriented is I, yesterday I uploaded an audio lesson on long-term care insurance and whether one should self-insure or go out and buy that insurance. And I didn't just keep the discussion on long-term care insurance, but all insurance in general. When should you self-insure? When should you go out and buy insurance? What's the criteria? So that's an example of an audio lesson on the Hub. You can check that out at moneyfortherestofushub.com. You can get show notes for this particular episode, episode 39, at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where we can sign up for my insider's guide where I will weekly email you those show notes. That's where I'm answering listener questions and providing other input and information for Insider Guides members. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you have questions 
on this episode or suggestions for future topics, please email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. Everything I've shared with you on this episode is for general education only. I have not considered your specific risk profile. I have not provided investment advice, simply education on investing, on money, and how the economy works. Have a great week.